I want to teach you the lesson that I learned from Brian Notter. So we're in Acts chapter four, and this kid, Brian Notter, he was 125 pounds. I knew him all throughout my uh, undergraduate days. And, and he, was the, he had the biggest, he was a scrawny little guy with the biggest Bible you ever met. And Brian was just a radical, compassionate, committed, and going after God. Brian was the guy, every time we sat down to study, he'd like, let's go over there and talk to those people about Jesus. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. That's embarrassing. And he'd look at him and go, we might be the only Bible they ever read. All right, let's go, Brian. One day, Brian brought into our small group, it's like 10 guys. He brought into our small group this kid named Greg Kalikowski. Greg Kalikowski was 20 years old. He was 6'4". He was jacked. He wasn't a college student. He brought him to our college Bible study. And Greg had been to prison twice. We were just like little rural farm boy type. We were like, why are you bringing this prisoner to our small group? And Brian said, because we might be the only Bible he ever read. And then one night, Brian brings Greg, the ex-con, to our college fellowship meeting. He brings him in and Greg, it's, I knew he had a drug background and Greg is flipping out, he's flipping out. And Brian brings him right over to me, right in the front row, and he sits down right during the first song, right next to me, and Greg is flipping out. I can't worship, I'm here to worship and learn how to love people, not sit next to this crazy guy. You're keeping me from learning how to love people, it's just crazy. I said, Brian, what are you doing? He's like, he's flipping out. He just needs the power of God in his life. He needs God's power. And I just brought him to the meeting. I'm like, you're disturbing everything. And we're arguing back. And in the middle of this, Greg, I'm not making this up. He takes out a, a little bread clip. You know, a bread bag clip. He takes it out of his pocket and he's fidgeting and he flicks it. You ever done that? And if this thing flies through the air and hits the worship leader right in the forehead, <laughs> bam. So worship leaders, what in the world is going on? And the worship leader says, all right, everyone, let's just pray out at different people over the room. I love you, Lord, because, and this kid in the back goes, I love you, Lord, because you provided for my semester. Another kid goes, I love you, Lord, because you've given me such good friends. And this little girl right in the front row, a little freshman girl, she goes, I love you, Lord, because you've forgiven all my sins. And Greg Kalikowski goes, I love you, Lord, because that girl's a liar. Like, get him out. We just rush him out of the room. I'm like, what do we do? And Brian's like, let's take him to the cops. So we march him across campus to the cops. And we go in the station. We, they said, did he hurt you? No. Did he hurt himself? No. Well, there's nothing we can do. It's not our problem. So I'm like, well, let's take him to his grandparents' house. That's where he lives. So we march him across town. We go to the grandparents' house. Big sign on the door. Greg, don't come back. You're not welcome here anymore. So we're like, well, let's bring him to my apartment. So I bring him to my apartment. My roommates are home by then. He's freaking out. He's freaking out. And Brian is going, I got an idea. I got an idea, Kurt. He said, come on, follow me into the kitchen. We go in the kitchen. He goes, have you ever done anything supernatural before? And I said, no. He goes, okay, then follow me. I'll lead. He walks right out there, walks up to Greg. Greg is freaking. He puts his hand on Greg's forward, just, just like a TV evangelist. And he goes, in the name of Jesus, what is your name? And Greg looks at him and goes, uh, Greg Kalikowski. All right, back to the kitchen, back to the kitchen. I was like, what were you doing? He was like, I was gonna cast demons at him. I'm like, don't do that in my apartment. I said, have you read that passage where the demon beats the guys up naked? I don't want any beating up naked here. So we go out there, my campus pastor comes over. He looks right at Greg, he says, Greg, you're having a nervous breakdown. And Greg said, who, who said I'm having a nervous breakdown? I kid you not, my campus pastor says, Kurt said you were. Just then, Greg, he runs out, of the, runs out of the apartment, down the street, and then it happened. I, I, I learned the lesson of Acts chapter four. 
was right then. I realized in that moment that it wasn't gonna be the police and it wasn't gonna be his family and it wasn't gonna be anyone else but me. God had called me. I looked at my campus pastor. I said, get in your car and you follow him. I said, come on guys. And we ran out the door and we started chasing him. We were running him down campuses. At one point he stops and he goes, why are you chasing me? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and then he kind of calmed down. He walked across the street and he kicked a cop car right in front of the 7-Eleven. These cops got out, they put him on the dirt, they put handcuffs, they shoved him in the back of the car and he was gone. I was like, God, why? Why did you bring Greg Kalakowski into my life? What was that? What was going on here? I believe what happened was God was trying to form in me the same thing that got formed in the disciples in Acts chapter four and the same thing that God wants to form in each and every one of us, especially as we talk about this idea of making the needs of others a powerful piece of hope in our life. Acts chapter four, here's the context, really simple, right there in your notes. I hope you see, Acts chapter one is right when Jesus leaves. He says, go into Jerusalem, don't do anything. You've seen my power, now I want you to wait, don't do anything. Then Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes and fills the whole place. And then Peter gets up and he preaches to multitudes and all sorts of people find faith. And then Acts chapter three, they go from the multitudes to the one. And Peter and John meet this one lame man and they lay hands on him and he gets miraculously healed. And what do they get for all of that powerful healing? They get thrown in front of the authorities. They get arrested. They go before the Sanhedrin. Now let's pick it up. I'm gonna go fast. If you're still with me, give me an amen. amen. Chapter four, verse eight. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, circle the phrase, an act of kindness, shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which was become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which he, we must be saved. In other words, they're sitting in front of the very same guys that have the audacity to crucify Jesus and they're going, he's the only hope, the only hope. Talk about courage. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Underline that phrase, circle it, highlight it, draw a unicorn next to it. Verse 14, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Now, you just gotta get back up for a second and get this passage. These guys were fishermen. They preach to multitudes, they heal a guy, they get caught in the, who is the Sanhedrin? Sanhedrin is just a Hebrew word for the sitting council. They were the, they were the court, they were the Congress, they were the uh, college professors, they were the fashion police, literally. They get thrown in front of these uh, authorities and they go, listen, we're not gonna actually compromise a single thing. Jesus is the way to hope, he's the only way to make it to heaven. Jesus is your, and you guys were the ones that arrest him. And they're like, we're so mad at you, we wanna throw you in jail, we wanna punish you, but right next to you is the proof that you're compassionate, this healed man. Go skip down to the end, look what it says here. Verse 19, they says, 
we forbid you to tell about this. And here's the response. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking what we have seen and what we have heard. What does this matter? You see, in our world today, hope is an elusive thing. In our world today, too many people are depressed and anxious and discouraged. There's too much division, too lack of civility. I think the lesson that I learned all those years ago with Greg Kalakowski and that they demonstrate in this passage is the only way to hope. Hope comes when you combine three things. I wish every one of us, I could just give you a simple formula for hope, but these three things have to actually happen in your life. The first one is this, it's compassion. And the second one is commitment. And that compassion and commitment unleash the power of God. Hope doesn't happen when I just come to church a couple times a week. Hope requires compassion, commitment, and the power of God. How does this work? I'm gonna break this down and I'm gonna go really fast because we wanna finish with this song and I also strongly believe that the will of God for your life is lunch. Give me an amen if you're still with me. Number one, we see the power of God. We see the power of God when compassion is unleashed. What's so striking to me about this passage is that they were preaching to multitudes in one chapter, but that didn't cause them to be blinded to the lame man in the next. So many of us, our ego gets so big. We think we're so important. We think we're so significant that we're blind to the needs around us. That's why I'm so proud to pastor around his. There's so many of you that say, God, open my eyes up to the suffering around me and help me unleash compassion. The entire chaos, the entire catalyst, the entire uh, turmoil of this part of scripture was caused by the healing of one man. You know, I don't know if you've noticed this, I have, but the homeless population in the Sacramento area is on the rise. Have you noticed this? If I go ride my bike right out in this ravine, there's hundreds of people living out there. I refuse to close my eyes to that. And that's why Kelly and I jumped in and we were part of the campaign. And you and I built a mobile medical clinic. Did you see it right out there on your way in? We built that mobile, med you built it. In fact, that thing is fresh off the line and they tell me it's gonna be fully operational for September 27th, our serve day this fall. That's right. Now listen, you go check it out after service. You go right by the food truck, get your cholesterol up and then go into the mobile medical and they'll get your cholesterol down. <laughs> we gotta go. I gotta have to, I have time to have to tell you this one. We, uh, last week I mentioned the, uh, the, the Congo, right? So there's war, there's poverty, there's remoteness. That's the worst place in the world for a kid to be when there's war, there's poverty, and there's uh, remoteness. The Northern Congo, there's nowhere worse to be a kid than there. Six years ago, you and I decided we were going to go in there and sponsor kids. Lots of NGOs told us it was too dangerous to go in there. We said, we're gonna do it. We're gonna be stubborn about it. We forced two organizations to work with us. World Vision stepped up. We had a goal at the beginning to sponsor just 300 kids in the first year and 10,000 kids in the next five. I am here to report to you that as of this year, we have exceeded the goal of 10,000 sponsored kids. Yeah, you don't even understand how far. And on the way to getting 10,000 sponsored kids in the Northern Congo, we have provided fresh water for 41,000 people that didn't have it. When we unleash the compassion of God, we see the power of God. Amen. Amen. Number two, write it in. Good news is proclaimed. God shows up, our commitment and our compassion unleash God when we actually show compassion and when we just simply actually state 
the good news of Jesus Christ. You know what they didn't do here? They didn't debate. I'm so tired of debate. Are you tired of debate? First of all, debate never proves who's right. It just proves who's the better debater. I, I, I got on Facebook one day and I said, debate doesn't work. And someone said, yes, it does. <laughs> There's a huge debate that just emerged. Listen to me, my friends. Christians have got to stop debating and we've got to stop being weird and we've got to start just simply saying the good news of Jesus. We're so weird as Christians. We look, we look oh, I, like your, I like your red top, ma'am. It's a nice red top. Do you see guys around here? She's not very, it's very fashionable. It's re- it reminds me of the blood of Jesus. That's how Christians sound. Stop. You know, what the, you know what we need to do is we need to say this. There is a God. There is a God. There is a God. There is a God. We could talk about the science behind that. We could talk about, there is a God. We are sinners. I'm a sinner. Pride, lust, greed, selfishness, ego. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. There is a savior. Jesus did come. I know it's hard to believe, but God interrupted history. The evidence is there. And not only come, not only did he serve us, and not only did he die on the cross for our sins, Jesus conquered death and rose again. There's a God, we're sinners, Jesus came. And here's the last little thing. This is the thing they said. This is the thing that unleashed the power of God. Not only Jesus raised from the grave, but you can decide to have a relationship with Jesus. I wanna talk to some of you, you're newer. Listen to me. We don't want your pledge. You don't have to help with the campaign. We're celebrating that this weekend. Here's the thing I wanted to tell you if you're newer. We don't want you to give towards compassion. We want you to receive the compassion of God and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Just simply and directly, ask God to come into your life. I gotta finish. Number three, we see the power of God when ordinary people act with extraordinary courage. It says they were ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus. You know, my wife, she's here today. My daughter graduated yesterday. My other daughter, they all graduated cum laude dottie. They all had the cords and they all graduated cum. I graduated, thank you, Lordy. Is anyone else there with... I walked down that thing, got my diploma, and they're like, dang, pay up. We never thought that happened, you know, it was that sort of thing. But I want to tell you, I went to a school early on, and I believe everything I've ever done in my life significant and everything I will do is because I enrolled in the school of trying to get to know Jesus. And I, these men were not of the right credentials. They were of the right relationships. I know people that have all the right credentials and don't live a significant life. They live a safe life. They live a successful life on the outside, but they don't live a life that matters. And I know other people that all the odds were against them. All the odds were against them. But they got with Jesus and they found the courage to live a life of sacrifice for others, a life more important than their own and their own life became filled with the power of God. How do you have hope? How do you unleash the power of God? You commit yourself to compassion and proclaiming the message of Jesus. I, uh, I'm gonna ask these guys to come out here. I'm finishing it up right now. I um, saw Greg two, two and a half, three months after the incident where he got pulled away by the cop car. We were sitting in our kitchen in our apartment. It was November, Eastern Washington's freezing cold. And... Um, there's a knock on the kitchen door and there's Greg Kalikowski right there. 
His eyes are all normal now. He's not having a fit. He doesn't have a coat on, even though it's freezing. We let him in the door. We're like, Greg, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm about to go out to the truck stop near the Denny's, and I'm going to hitchhike down to California and see if I can find my brother. I got, I got no one else. I'm going to go see if I can find my brother. We're like, don't do that. You'll freeze. You've got to stay here. You can sleep on our couch. He goes, no, no, I'm, I'm leaving right now. I'm only going to stay just this one minute. We're like, no, you've got to stay. And he goes, no, I insist. I'm leaving. I just have one thing I want to say before I leave. I want to say thanks. See, my whole life, I've been having these fits. My whole life, I don't know what it is. I just, I just lose my mind, literally. And every time it happens, everyone around me runs from me. My mom ran from me. My dad ran from me. My friends, my grandpa, my grandma, everyone, they just run from me. So I just came here tonight to tell you, thank you so much for being the first people ever to run after me. Listen to me. Who are you? What are you called to do? Why, why talk about this? Why do this campaign and all this? Because God wants you to run after someone. There's a thousand Greg Kalikowskis out there. There's a million girls that need to be saved from trafficking. There's a thousands upon thousands of people without a home. There's someone who needs to know that Jesus Christ loves them. And you and I, my friend, we're called we're called to run after them. 